Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us here on site and those who are joining us online this morning. Glad you're with us. We're now entering into the second half of a sermon series we've been on for the last couple of weeks called The DNA of Our Church. And uh, maybe it's the first time you're joining us for this series. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the building blocks that make up West Meadows. And in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about these and we've sort of defined DNA as these building blocks, these, which includes these unique values these unique values that West Meadows has that will guide how we fulfill God's mission for us to invite people to experience new life with Jesus. Now, when we talk about values, what we're doing is we're, we're talking about these core convictions, these core characteristics that have the power to guide our actions, but also to reveal our priorities. In the last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, you know that we've gone through the first three. We've, we've talked about countercultural love. We've talked about heartfelt hospitality. Last week, we discussed the value of encountering Jesus through, through us, that we weave Jesus into our stories, so that others experience him through us. And now today, we're going to talk about number four, which is vibrant faith. And we talk about vibrant faith, we're talking about this way, that we want to give God our all so that we can trust that we will experience his best in return. Vibrant faith, giving God our all, trusting that we'll experience his very best. You know, when we hear this word faith, my mind goes back in time a little bit to before I was a pastor, and uh, a lady I worked with in, in, a, in a warehouse, and she learned one day that I was a Christian, and, and her response to that was, I don't believe in faith. I don't believe in faith, no such thing, which wasn't too surprising for her to say that because she was a, a rather non-spiritual person. But, but in hindsight, as I've personally learned and kind of grown and know more about faith, I, you know, in hindsight, I, I probably should have challenged her on that statement a little bit because I've come to believe, and I, I hope you too will come to believe this today too if you don't already, that it is absolutely impossible for anyone to live without faith in something. In something. See, see if she had said, for example, I have no faith in God, well, that would be considered a true statement for a rather secular person. But to say that I don't believe in faith, period, is a little more problematic. You see, because all of us have faith in something. All of us have faith in something. It's simply part of the human experience that we all share in. Because there are moments in all of our lives where we will find ourselves in a moment where we have to trust in something beyond ourselves. Trust in knowledge beyond what we possess. There are moments we will find ourselves in, all of us will find ourselves in some way, somehow, sometime, where we have to look beyond ourselves to hold a belief or to take a step. And we just don't quite know everything about everything, do we? We see this in regular day life. For example, consider, uh, this is an example I thought of, of when you go see the doctor. When you go to the doctor, you voluntarily call them up and make an appointment and then you take time out of your day to go to the doctor's office. And then a man walks in who's wearing a coat and name tag and a stethoscope. He asks you, what's wrong? And you are willing, you, you are voluntarily willing to reveal the most personal, sometimes embarrassing aspects of your entire self. He will then perhaps sometimes ask you to take off a part of your clothing and you will do it. He will then examine you for a moment, and then he'll tell you to ingest a chemical compound that you can't even pronounce, and you will do it. He will then give you a diagnosis that will lead you to reorganize your entire perspective on life, what you eat and what you do and how you sleep and how much you exercise, and, and all these things will completely reorientate it. Why do we do that? 
because he had a coat and a name tag? Do we do it because maybe it was the stethoscope and you're just sold out to the stethoscope? Was it the, the, the diploma on the wall? Here's news for you. I can go to a Halloween store and spend five minutes on the internet and I can get myself a coat, a name tag, a stethoscope, and a diploma. That does not give me the ability to diagnose what's wrong with you. Why do we do it? Because it's faith. We have faith that he went to med school and passed. Right? We have faith that the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons has examined him and approved him to be doing this job. We have no confirmation of this. But we have faith that those things have taken place. Consider also, whenever we get on an airplane, later today Nadine and I are going to go on a short vacation and we're going to get onto an airplane. We're going to climb voluntarily onto one of these flying sardine cans. We're going to buckle ourselves into a rather uncomfortable chair and when they close the door, there is no escape. We're on there. We do not understand the physics of flying at all. I do not understand why this thing that weighs so much and made out of metal can fly. I have no idea why it happens. And then the voice of somebody from somewhere comes over the PA and says he's glad to see me. And then he tells me that he's going to take me and 200 other people up to 30,000 feet at 500 miles per hour. And we're excited about this. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because the airline says that the pilot's good to go? Because the airline says that the plane is good to go? Because everyone else went along with it? Here's news for you folks. They're just as clueless as the rest of us about what's about to happen. Why do we do it? Because we have faith. We have faith in Transport Canada, which could be hard times, but we have faith in Transport Canada. We have faith that the pilot has successfully done this before. We have faith that he had a good night's sleep and that he has not been drinking before he welcomed us onto his airplane. We have faith in these things because it is impossible to live without faith. There's no way that we can know everything about everything all the time. True? True. And so faith is defined as this. Faith is the gap that exists between evidence and belief. Because there's things in this world that we have to arrive at a belief on. There's things that we just have to come to terms with a belief on. And there's evidence that leads us towards that, but there will be a gap. There will be a gap between these two things. And it is truly impossible to live without faith. People who try to do so, they will simply become neurotic and curl up in a little ball and not do anything or go anywhere. And so because of that, what do people tend to try to do? We tend to try to take steps to minimize the gap, to shorten the gap, to gather more information, to gather more evidence, to shorten that gap. And that's perfectly great. That's fine. That's beautiful. There's things that I regularly do to try to shorten that gap. But here's the deal, Teal. We can never completely remove the gap. We can never completely, we can shorten it at times through different steps, but we can never completely remove it. We can't eliminate it. And so we fill it with something. So we fill the gap. We fill it with ourselves at times. Sometimes we fill it with things that we can control. But if we simply fill the gap with ourselves, with what we can control, when we get to the things that are beyond ourselves, when we get to things that are beyond our control, it simply leads us to skepticism. But here's one thing that I've come to believe and I've come to experience is that I strongly believe that in that gap, that is where many people discover their need for God. They discover their need for God in the gap. As one apologist explained it, he said it this way, God has put just enough into this world to make faith in him a most reasonable thing. There is evidence for God. There is evidence to put our belief and our faith in God in the world around us. But he has left out just enough He's left just enough of a gap that it makes it impossible to live on sheer reason alone. 
God's put enough into this world to make belief in him a reasonable thing, but he's left just enough out to make it impossible to live by sheer reason alone. So the question for us comes down to this, folks. It comes down to this, is that what will we place our faith in, but then also what kind of faith are we going to have? And I believe that as we look at God and as we look at the promises of God and we look at those to fill the gap, that not only will that build your faith in God, not only will it build your faith in a God of the gap, but it can also lead over time to a vibrant testimony of faith for each and every single one of us and for us collectively as a church. You know, in one of the great places in the Bible that we see this, we see examples of this and we see people encouraging followers of Christ towards us. And one of those places that we see it is in Hebrews chapter 11. If, if you want to turn there, you can do so in your Bibles in Hebrews 11. Or if you want to use a pew Bible, it's found on page 974. You can also use the pew portal. All the scripture verses are included in the pew portal each week. And as you turn there to, to Hebrews chapter 11, we come to a passage of scripture that's familiar to many people probably. Because it's, it's, it's kind of referred to as the hall of fame of faith. It's where we find this impressive list of men and women from the Old Testament that really just, just absolutely epitomize courage and faith in God. Uh, people like, like Abraham and Sarah and Joshua and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samuel and King David, like kind of the who's who of, of faith and courage in the Old Testament. You know, if there was a, like a Hollywood Boulevard walk of fame in heaven, these are the people you'd expect to find on that, on that walk of fame. But the author, before he introduces the story, he does this. He gives us actually a biblical definition of faith, which we find in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 2, where it says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is what the people of old were commended for. Now, sometimes in our culture, faith is, is looked at and it's viewed in a kind of a disparaging way. When we talk about faith, people think that what we're talking about here is we're, we're talking about like, like trusting in something that is completely devoid of evidence. You're just kind of shooting in the dark. That's more what I would refer to as blind faith. That's not what this verse is talking about. That, that would, what people think about faith sometimes is more in tune with what we would call blind faith. And I'd agree with you, if you have no evidence, if you're just shooting in the dark, that would be foolish. That even can be dangerous to do that. I remember when, uh, when our daughter was in grade three, so about eight years old, she and her friends would play this game at recess where, where Kalina would put her coat over her face and her friends would tell her how many steps to walk in which direction. And so she'd be like, three steps forward. And then to the left. And they would, this would be their game. Her friends, because she would just, in complete faith in her friends, blind faith, would just tell her which way to go, and they walked her right into a post. And she knocked out her two front teeth, <laughs> which, which, which was amusing later in the day when she would put the straw of her milkshake through it and, and try and suck that up so we waited for the dentist to fix her teeth. But, but that's blind faith. And we can agree that that type of faith is foolish and even dangerous to follow blind faith. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is faith that is equated with confidence and assurance which may seem like a contradiction. How can you have confidence and assurance and have faith at the same time? Well, when we come to understand what this verse here is trying to point out, we come to see that there is no inconsistency in the description here. You see, this word that we have here for confidence, it comes from the Greek word for hypostasis. 
And what hypostasis means is it refers to this idea of having a substance, a firm, solid foundation, a sure foundation upon which we stand. So faith is confidence. Faith is this sure foundation upon which we currently stand. That doesn't mean there isn't mystery around us. It doesn't mean there isn't an immediate mystery in the world around us. It means that we are standing in the midst of mystery on solid ground. We have this resolute confidence, this resolute hopostasis that we will find fulfillment in God's promises and that his end goal will reach its fruition. It's kind of like if you find yourself in a season of life and it feels like the fog has descended upon you. You have limited vision. You're not sure which way to go. Should I go left? Should I go right? Should I, should I just stay for a little while? You don't know which way to go because of the fog that's descended upon you. But what you do know and what you can feel is that your feet are firmly planted right in this moment. And so we stand firmly planted on firm ground. We have this hypostasis, this confidence. But add to that now assurance. It comes from the Greek word elahos. And this word elahos refers to a conviction that is not static. A conviction that is not complacent. What does that mean? It means we have so much certainty. We have so much certainty that it compels us to take a step. It compels us to walk into the fog. It compels us to take that step. You see, this idea of assurance, this idea of of faith of this type is not something where you believe in and then you just sit down on your holy hypostasis. That's not what it's about. It's about having this conviction, this being compelled to move to action. So even though you may find yourself in a time of uncertainty where the fog descends upon your life, you first of all know that you are standing on firm ground because you're standing firmly fixed upon the promises of God and you can feel it and you know it. And because you can feel it, because you know it, because you have so much certainty that God is who he says he is, because he has shown up for you in the past, he will be present for you right now, and he'll be there when you take that step. It compels you to take a step into the fog. And when we do so with the God who orders our steps, we find that when we step, we find more solid ground. And we stand again. And we can step again. And we can step again. And over time, as we do this, we are encouraged to take bigger steps of faith. We are encouraged to take bigger steps over bigger gaps. And what we come to find is that God is big enough to fill the gaps. He's big enough that we can stand firmly fixed upon him and upon his promises. And after this happens for a period of time, not only does it build our faith, not only does our faith build, but it also takes on a vibrance. It takes on a vibrance because we become inspired by it. It can become a passion within us. And it becomes something that we can place our trust upon to take further steps of action to the point where we are willing to give God our all. Why? Because we trust, we have confidence that we will receive his best. And that forms the basis of our fourth value. Vibrant faith. This vibrant, this this living, this active, this vibrant faith that compels us to live boldly, to serve broadly, to give generously, to trust completely, to share openly, to commit fully, all because of into the glory of God. Amen? Amen. You know, folks, that's that's what the author of, of Hebrews is encouraging his community towards. In Hebrews 11, that's what he's encouraged them towards in Hebrews 11. And he does all this as he recounts these Old Testament stories of faith. You see, then he gets to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, he uses a common New Testament metaphor about putting faith in action now. 
to put faith for his community and for us into action. And he does so by painting the picture of somebody who's running a race. This athletic contest that a person is trained for, that they've committed to, and that they plan to completely finish. And they have this faith, this confidence that they can and will run the race and finish because others have gone on ahead of them. And others have gone on ahead and marked out the course and now sit in the stands and are watching them but also encouraging them. Because we read this in verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, these Old Testament saints, these Old Testament heroes, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the perseverance, the race that has been marked out for us. You see, this great crowd of witnesses are those Old Testament heroes from chapter 11 who have already finished the race and are now offering that inspiring example of faith to us. When you read through chapter 11, you see that each of them had a unique situation. They had unique challenges, but they had a common quality. And the common quality was that they finished their race through faith in God. Now, some of you probably haven't run competitively before. Maybe you haven't run at all for a while. You know, and whenever I hear about running and racing, obviously I think of Nadine, who many of you know is, uh, you know, has spent many years just kind of running. That's, that's her sport. And when she started running, she, she would do a 5K and then she, she'd do that and she's like, well, I'm going to do a 10K next. And then she would run a 25K and then she got into like a 50-kilometer trail run that she would complete. And so I would, I would drive her to these places and I'd be there at the finish line. Me, I don't like running. Right? I, I remember when I was little and my dad once told me, he said, if I ever see a jogger smiling, I'll take up running. And it's true. If you watch a jogger, they don't smile while they're running. They, they smile at the end. I think they smile at the end because it's over. But and So I, I've never taken up running. But then I would watch Nadine. And I'd, I'd watch her compete. And, and I'd watch her finish these races. And I'd watch the community around her that was so energetic and inspiring. And I'd see these medals that she would, she would receive in the, in the sense of accomplishment as she finished these, these different races. And the end result is, is me who spent, you know, 45 years of my life detesting running. It inspired me to run. And now, and now we run together. <laughs> we go on runs together now. You know, and see, this is sort of the role that these stories of people in Hebrews 11 play for us and for the community that the author of Hebrews is writing to. They've run the race. They've inspired others by their examples, by finishing the race and showing what it's like to have this community of faith around you. They've ran the race, and they now set an example, and they set an encouragement for all of us to run the race of faith as well. When we look at their examples, we, we see this. We see that there's actually a common model how the author explains this to us. And, and it looks like this. He begins by always saying, by faith, this person did an act or an event that expressed their faith, and they found the promise fulfilled. Throughout all, throughout all these examples in chapter 11, we see this. By faith, this person acted on faith, the promise was fulfilled. For example, you can read this at home later. If you go back to Hebrews 11, verse 7, you see this. It says, by faith, Noah did an act of faith by building the ark. And the promise that was fulfilled is that it saved his family and he became an heir of righteousness. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham and Sarah took a step of faith where they moved to the promised land as strangers and foreigners. And the promise fulfilled was that numerous descendants came from them. Verse 24, by faith, Moses chose to be mistreated 
He chose to give up the life in the temple, in the palace. He chose to have no pleasures that came with that. And the promise was he became the deliverer of the nation of God. Verse 29, by faith Israel did the act of faith by walking through the Red Sea on dry land. And the promise was that they were saved and their enemy was drowned. Verse 31, by faith Rahab, when the spies came, she welcomed them and she did not turn them in. And the promise was that she herself was not killed with the disobedient in Jericho. This is a pattern that we see throughout, verse, throughout chapter 11. And it's a process that doesn't just work for the Old Testament heroes. It actually works in our lives, and it works in our church as well. I want to show you some examples of how this can work. But it can only work when we have this resolute confidence, when we step out in faith as they did, as their inspiring example set for us. We need to trust that by faith, you and we can take a step of faith and we'll find God is there. We can see examples of this throughout Scripture. For example, do you have a life decision to make? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, By faith, those who come to a fork in the road, who don't know which way to go, can take a step of faith and trust God with all their heart and lean not on their own righteousness and the fulfillment of the promise, he will make their paths straight. Are you fearful? Are you worried? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, By faith, those who are anxious can take the step of faith by offering prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, presenting their requests to God. And the fulfillment of that is the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard their hearts. Do you feel like you are being overcome by temptation? James 4 tells us this, By faith, when you are tempted, in faith, submit yourself to God. And the promise is, when you resist the devil, you will be provided a way out and he will flee from you. Are you consumed by financial worries? Follow the pattern. By faith, Malachi 3, by faith, when God's people bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse, the promise, God will throw open the floodgates of heaven. He will pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to contain it. If you have a big decision for us as a church, if we have problems and challenges ahead that we need to navigate together as a community, we can practice this as a community as well, based upon Matthew 16 where it says, by faith, when the body of Christ takes a step of faith by being true to his mission, by seeking and trusting God in all of their ways, the fulfillment of the promise, God will build his church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. See the pattern? There are so many promises in Scripture that you can claim. This is the way you claim the promises of Scripture. You claim them by taking that step of faith, by saying, I am standing on a sure foundation. I'm standing on the sure foundation of God, and based upon him, and based upon his promises, it says in his promises, I can take a step of faith. And if I act faithful according to him, I will find that he is there. I will find a sure foundation to stand upon. There are countless promises in Scripture you can claim by applying this process. That's how you create an ever-deepening experience of new life with Jesus. That is how you run the race of faith, by stepping out in faith in claiming the promises we find in Scripture. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that if you feel that God is leading you in a direction, if you feel that, that God is calling you to something and, and you have been resistant to it, you've been, you've been fearful, you've been sitting down saying, I, I believe in God, but I'm just sitting on my holy hope of stasis. I'm not moving. That you take that step of faith. That you take that step of faith, that you live boldly, that you serve broadly, that you give generously, that you trust completely, that you share openly, that you commit fully to the glory of God. We're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. And I'm not just talking about the ancient 
Old Testament heroes, I mean even within this place right here with us right now, if we sit with one another and hear stories, we will hear stories of where God showed up when we took steps of faith. We are surrounded right here and now by a great crowd of witnesses, inspiring examples of what it looks like to do this. We have the promises of God. We have the presence of God here with us right now. Man, that, that should give us such confidence and such assurance. But the choice will always fall to us, individually and corporately as well. It will always fall to us. How will we run the race set before us? How will we run that race? Will we run the race of faith set before us? Now, if you desire to run that race, and you desire to run it well, it will require choices. It will require us to, to train. It will require us to push through some tough times. It will require us to, to develop some new habits. Like I mentioned a few moments ago that Nadine ran a 50-kilometer trail run. That's pretty awesome, pretty impressive that she did that. You know what makes it even more impressive? She didn't train for it. Not a single day, for months, didn't run once. <laughs> up to it. Sheer will and stubbornness <laughs> allowed her to finish that race. She didn't have a great time. Like, she had a good time doing it. But, like, her finish time, not great. Her calves cramped up the whole way through it. She had terrible, you should have seen the blisters. She had her feet. And she broke her foot in the process of doing so. Am I selling you on running yet? <laughs> so, no. But you don't, your race doesn't have to go that way. Your race doesn't have to go that way. Because there are things that we can do that will enable and things we can do that will disable our ability to run with vibrancy, to run well. And we also see that in Hebrews 12 and verses 1 and 2 where it says this. This is what it talks about when it says, let us throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race of perseverance marked out for us by fixing our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's things we can do to make sure that we can run well. To make sure that we finish well. And the first thing it says here is to throw off anything that hinders. Now for the original audience that would have been reading this, the, the original Hebrew audience, they would have immediately gone to their minds to like the original sports, so like the original Olympic Games kind of idea where, where in order to have free movement and, and free performance, athletes, runners in particular, would, would strip completely naked. So there was nothing hindering them as they competed, as they would run. And, and I think that's why there wasn't any Winter Olympics for a long time. But, but, but that's how they would compete, so that nothing could hinder them. Now that's not literally <laughs> what's being described for us here, but, but metaphorically speaking, what are the things that we need to shed? What are the things that we need to stop doing, we need to take off that keep us from running this race with freedom? For some people, it, it might be this tendency to always be looking back. Have you ever tried to run forward by looking back? It will hinder you on running forward. For some people, it's this tendency to be looking back, to be defined by the past, by what could have been, by what was that feels like a failure, to be defined by those things. We need to shed those things. We need to take those things off. Jesus says that when we come to him, we find new life in him, and the old is gone and the new has come. We can take those things off, those things that hinder our race. For some people, it is the, is the weight of guilt, a, a self-perception that is holding us down, that it is like a weighted backpack that you're trying to run with. And if you can just slip that off one shoulder and then the next shoulder and allow that guilt, allow that self-perception just, just to fall from you, you will find that your race completely changes. 
as you go forward. But maybe there's a specific one. That's what this verse talks about as well. Another one, very specifically, this ongoing sin that entangles. Sin that needs to be, needs to be taken off, that's hindering us. Sin that so easily entangles. This is a specific kind of hindrance the author's talking about here. You see, sin is so powerful and hindering. And the way we understand sin is really anything that is contrary to God's perfect will for us and his perfect character. Anything contrary to that would be understood as sin. And and what that basically means is when we aren't following God's will, when we aren't following God's ways, when we aren't emulating God's character, we're kind of going our own way. And it's hard to run the path that he's marked out for us when we're going our own way. it's, It's a hindrance. But at the same time, sin in our lives, unaddressed sin that keeps coming up time and time again, it's like tying your shoelaces together. And it is impossible to run when your laces are tied together because you keep falling. And then you get up and you fall again. And you get up and you fall again. You get up and you fall again. This unaddressed sin is like tying your laces together. It'll keep you from falling. And how many times do you have to fall down? Until you start to have this belief that I'm not good enough to run this race. How many times do you have to trip up over your own feet because your laces are tied together by sin to start thinking, I'm not worthy. And why should I even bother? You see, sin has the power to keep us from finishing the race, but it also has the power to keep us from even starting the race. What is the solution? The solution to this? The solution to anything that hinders? To the sin that so easily entangles? The solution to anything that keeps us from running with vibrance, this race of faith marked out before us? It says in the last line, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He is the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. To be the pioneer of something means that there is one who went ahead of us who blazed the trail. He is the pioneer who blazed the trail. He went first. He marked out the course and he cleared the way. And because of that, we have confidence and we have assurance as we run that if we encounter any obstacles in faith, we will get over it, under it, or through it if we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. But he's not just the pioneer of our faith. He's also the perfecter of our faith. He's the perfecter because he sets the example of how to run the race well. That's what we see in the scripture when we learn about, about Jesus' teaching and his life and the example he set before us. He set the example on how to run the race well. And because of that, he's the champ. And he is the one who can bring our faith to its intended goal. He is the one who can fulfill the definitive promises that we find in Scripture. Promises like we can be set free from that sin that entangles. Promises like we can be brought into relationship with the Father. And in that moment, shut off anything that hinders the run that we have because we have our eyes fixed upon Christ as children of God. And promises that we who run the race well, we who run the race of faith well, will be presented that victor's crown of glory one day. Verse 2 and 3 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let us consider him. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. He endured such opposition in the world and the life that he lived. Let us consider him and what he went through so that we will not grow weary, so that we will not lose heart in our own race. You see, by faith, Jesus Christ, by faith, Jesus Christ, 
endured the cross. And the promise was that he won our victory and was glorified at the right hand of the Father. Even he lived out the model before us. And in so doing, he became the object and the means of our faith in this life and the life to come. This is the promise. This is the revelation. This is the foundation of our faith. This is the foundation of our fourth core value of the vibrant faith where we are willing to give God our all, trusting we will experience his best. And we can give him our all by living boldly, by serving broadly, by giving generously, by trusting completely, by sharing openly, and by committing fully to his glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Wow, well, what a great day for us to talk about faith. And what I mean by that is it's a great day because we have an opportunity to now respond to, to the worship we've been doing and to respond to the, the words and the, the gospel, the words of the Bible I've been sharing with you this morning. We can respond by participating in communion together. Now, when you came in today, hopefully you received the, the elements of communion as you did. And if you didn't receive those, you can just shoot a hand up at any time here now. One of the ushers will bring those to you. These elements that represent Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross that, that won our victory for us. This victory that all of us needed. Because the scripture is clear on this, that, that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of, of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the honor of God and because of the sin that exists in our lives and because of how glorious and holy God is, there, a gap exists between us. And that gap needs to be filled somehow. It can't be overcome. It can't be ignored. But a gap exists between us and God, and, and praise God that he is the God of the gaps. He's the God of this gap as well. Or out of his great love for us, God was born of flesh in Jesus Christ, whose name means he saves. And he sacrificed himself for us to pay the price for our sins, to stand in the gap, to bridge the gap between us and God to pay the price that we could not, to solve the problem that we could not overcome. Out of his great love, he did that for us. And that's what's represented in these elements. Uh, the bread that we have represents his body, in which he was born, which he served, which he taught, but ultimately which he offered up in our place. And the cup, symbolic of his blood, which he shed upon the cross, as that great exchange took place, where he gave his life, for ours. Now, as we've discussed today, we need to live by faith, and this is one of those places that we need to choose faith as well. We can't put trust in ourselves to bridge that gap. We can only put trust in God to do it, and that is how we receive salvation, as Ephesians 2 tells us. For it is by God's grace to us alone that we've been saved. What's our, our part? Through faith. Through our faith in God's grace, we have been saved. It's not of us. It's not of us, it is the gift of God represented at this table. It's not of our works, it's by his works. So that nobody should boast, but just simply praise, remember, and glorify God for what he's done for us. Because by faith, we all need a savior. And we can take that step of faith by placing our faith and by confessing our sins to him and the promises that we will receive salvation from God. All who have done that at some point in their lives, you are welcome to participate at this table with us. If that's something that you have not done at your time in your life, you have an opportunity right now to do so. You have an opportunity right in these moments to simply say, thank you, Jesus, for paying the price 
on the cross that I could not. I acknowledge, Lord, that I need you, that your work on the cross was sufficient, that as you gave your life for me, I now give you mine. And if that is the cry of your heart, you are also invited to join us at this table, but then also invited to come speak with me afterwards so we can continue to walk with you in faith with Jesus Christ. So let's all just take a moment right now just to reflect and to seek God as each of us needs. And then I'll join you down at the table here again where we will partake of these elements.